Welcome to Advantage to Insight. My name's Wayne. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, thank you for bearing with us as we have uh, kind of gone on a little hiatus and kind of rebranded the show a little bit to come in and speak with you again. So today, we are going to talk about playing D&D with children. And I can think of no better person to talk about this than my guest today. This person is a teacher, an entrepreneur, a PhD student, and soon-to-be graduate, proficient in multiple different games. Uh, <laughs> he seems to wield a lot of swords. He seems a lot of pictures with weapons, but gamer and a, cl- and a friend of mine, Daniel Kwan. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Hi. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for having me on the show. This is actually super awesome. So I've actually known Daniel for a relatively short amount of time. Uh, Daniel and I work uh, together on Ad- Adventuring Zone, uh, where we where we talk where we've talked about this before. He is actually our family and programs coordinator. But that's enough for me. So what we're going to do is we're going to introduce Daniel and we're going to go talk into the meat of our subject that Daniel is actually very very uniquely positioned to talk about. So Daniel, introduce yourself. Tell us your fan cred. What how why are people going to listen to you today? Oh man, well I'm I like you said I'm a teacher, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm actually a PhD candidate, not a PhD student. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> University of Toronto. That's okay. I travel the world. I eat food. I study ancient cooking, but all of that kind of blends into my love of history and education. How my sort of world relates to gaming is that I'm an educator at the Royal Ontario Museum and one of the co-founders of an organization called Level Up Gaming here in Toronto. So I specialize in you know the use of tabletop games, tabletop role-playing games, uh, so not just D&D, in educational contexts, helping uh, teenagers between the ages of 10 and 14 and adults between the ages of, well, 18 and up, but lately between the ages of 18 and 40 with uh, autism spectrum disorders or, or other disabilities. But yeah, everything I do kind of relates to gaming. My job relates to gaming. I, you know, I pay pay my rent through gaming. All I do is game. And through that, I kind of just try to help as many people as I can along the way. That's actually pretty cool. I mean, I think a lot of people out there really want to do that. How did you start playing games and, and specifically RPGs? Oh, well, that, that's actually like a really easy question. So um, I started playing RPGs through the program that I actually teach at the ROM. I remember it was, I don't know how long ago. It was a while ago. I was sitting in the car outside of the Ontario Hydro Building, which I guess is now Ontario Power Generation. And my mom worked there. You know, we were in the car, my brother and I, and with our dad, and we're picking up my mom. And she came in. She's like, okay, you're going to camp at the ROM. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I love the ROM. We used to go there all the time. We were members. And she's like, you're doing this thing. It's called Dungeons and Dragons. I have no idea what it is, but I signed you and your brother up for it. Um, I was like, okay, cool. I was 11 years old. My brother was actually too young to be in the program. And she signed us up for it. And I was like, oh, God, I, I don't know what the heck this is. So I kind of like did a little bit of digging. I read through the uh, the little uh, description that was on the pamphlet. I still had no idea what it was. And I remember going in the first day. And thinking that we were going to, you know, make weapons. And we were going to essentially LARP. And I didn't know what LARPing was. But I thought we were going to do that. And I was kind of right. We we were going to play pretend. But we were going to do it with, like, pens, paper, and dice. So I was half right when I was 11. 
I remember making my first character in the old China Gallery in the ROM with the teacher at the time. His name was Anthony Harrison. And he was an art teacher at George Brown. And he became like a really good friend of mine and a mentor. And I remember making my first character. We were playing D&D 3.0. And it was an elven fighter. And I named him Aramel. And I used that name for every single character since then, except for the current game I'm playing. And that's how I kind of got started. I, I played D&D in that program between the ages of uh, 11 and 14. The ROM has a uh, fantastic leadership program. And so I took that when I was uh, 14, 15, and started volunteering when I was 15 and a half. I volunteered for the programs, not just working in D&D, but working with other groups, five-year-olds, six to seven-year-olds, eight to ten-year-olds. I did them all. And then uh, the old program coordinator offered me a job. And I took it. So my first job ever was at the ROM. I was 16 years old, and I was getting paid to play d and <laughs> I was getting paid to play d and take care of kids, and hang out with the teacher who taught me when I was a kid. And I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. I think that actually is the coolest thing ever. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but... I know. <laughs> I think that's the coolest thing ever. It's like, you're going to pay me to play D&D. Well, well, let me tell, so let me tell you more, because... It gets even cooler. It gets even cooler. So I work my way up the ranks. I become a lead assistant. I become in charge of a team. I learn how to manage. And all the skills that I had, you know, managing kids and trying to be a 16, 16, 17-year-old DMing groups of children who are 11 years old, I, I learned how to manage at a really, really young age. And I basically just took that and moved my way up. I got my degree in biological anthropology in 2011. And once I got my degree, they hired me as a teacher. So I took over the program and I've changed it significantly since I was a kid. But that whole time I was pursuing archaeology. I went on my first dig in 2010. I went and lived in Jordan and worked in a town called Madaba uh, for th- three months. I ended up going back there two more times, but I got hired to, to teach on that dig. And in between all of my archaeology, doing a master's, I still managed to teach at the ROM every Saturday in the holidays, March break, and all summer long. So I, I kind of organized all of my – I organized my entire career around teaching D&D at the ROM and amongst <laughs> other little classes. But D&D was the, the main thing that I do there. And I wanted to be an archaeologist because of D&D. When I was in the program, we used to do behind-the-scenes tours, and I met this – amazing, cool archaeologist named Robert Mason. He still works at the ROM. I think his Twitter handle is rbjmason. And you can imagine I'm 11 years old. I know nothing about D&D, and we're going to Curatorial, and we meet this British guy with a big beard. He's got he's covered with tattoos. Uh, you know, his, his dress shirt's tucked in, and he's got this, like, leather pouch that looks like it came from the Middle Ages. And he's holding a whole bunch of historical weapons, real artifacts. He showed us how to use them. He taught me how to shoot a bow when I was 11. And this isn't like a fiberglass bow. He taught me how to shoot an English longbow when I was 11. And I was like, this is what archaeologists do? All you do is play with weapons and get tattoos and have a cool accent? I'm totally down for that. So I wanted to be an archaeologist since I was 11, but because I was doing D&D at the ROM. And so I I kept at it. I stayed at the ROM and I got the course. Now, full circle, Robert Mason is my archaeological mentor. He trained me in the technique that I specialize in. And now I'm teaching his daughter, which is 
really mind-boggling. It makes me feel old, even though I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of all how it happened. My, you know, all of my careers, you know, archaeology, uh, level up gaming, the ROM, my my podcast, Curiosity and Focus, all come from the ROM. They all come from this place of you know creativity and inspiration. So we're going to get into that in just a little bit. And, and Daniel's actually gone, yes. gone – I had an answer some of the other questions. So the next two questions are basically – well, one of them is how have D&D and RPGs influenced you? I think we can see that very, very clearly. But maybe we'll just take one step back. Why are you a fan of D&D? It's the best game in the world. I tell that to all of my students and I say, look, you're going to play this game. It's going to have paper. It's going to have pencils. It's going to have dice. And it might have miniatures. But I'm going to tell you this ahead of time. It's going to be the best game you've ever played, and it uses the most incredible graphics card in the world, and that's your imagination. I love it because in D&D, I can do anything. And in tabletop games in general, I, I can do anything I want. I could, you know, explore my identity. I can explore in, you know, relative, in a pretty low-risk environment, you know, what it meant to be evil, what it meant to do questionable things without actually doing them in real life it also allowed me to sort of explore what it meant to be good and realize that good and evil are really relative and really gray rather than black and white uh, i just love rpgs and dd because you just kind of kind of get to be somebody else not as a form of escape but as a form of uh, experimentation and of course it's inherently social i don't know why people think that dnd is for like loners but like you can't play D&D alone. <laughs> it's like, it's literally the most social game. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. But yeah, that, that's why, that's why I love them. That's why I'm a fan of all RPGs. And I, I think you and I are really lucky because we, we live in uh, a gaming renaissance right now where there are literally RPGs about everything now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you don't even have to like fantasy. You, you can like being an anarchist. You can like rabbits. You could like, you know, 80s horror movies. Literally every interest, there's an RPG for it or a way to play an RPG around that. Yeah, pretty much. I know that you're a big fan of um, Powered by the Apocalypse apocalypse, <laughs> apocalypse games. I'm a big fan of those. I'm a big fan of pretty much anything. Actually, before we started this call, before my, my cat kind of made a mess that I had to clean up, I was just reading the uh, um, Dread by uh, The Impossible Dream. I don't know if you're familiar with that game. That's the one with Jenga, right? And so I was just reading that because I, I think, yeah, the one with Jenga. And I was thinking like, huh, this could be a really good game for my students because it's just different. Yeah, so I love RPGs. <laughs> so let's dive in. We're going to talk to your specialty uh, about what we're talking about today. And that is playing D&D with children and specifically your experience at the ROM. For those who don't know, the ROM in local terms, is the Royal Ontario Museum. And that is a, actually a very well-funded, relatively large museum, in Canada at least. It's the, it's the biggest uh, natural and cultural history museum in Canada. I actually heard about Daniel in 2011 when he took over the program. I hadn't heard about the program before. And I just remember reading an article. It's like, this guy is running D&D at the, the ROM. Even though that pro- program's been around for a while, this guy's running D&D at the ROM. And we're like, Really? D&D at the ROM? That's so cool. But it's for kids, so I can't sign up, <laughs> right? So Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> so maybe let's, let's start with this. Break down what it is. What, is. what is this program? A lot of people think that the program is just sitting around and playing D&D. 
Um, I'm not playing through any, uh, you know, uh, Adventures League content. I'm, uh, I'm not playing any pre-written modules. I'm playing in my own setting with my staff who all consist of former students or friends. But every day is, uh, has a structure. The kids can arrive as early as 8 o'clock. They watch movies in our theater until 9 o'clock. They get dismissed. And then I lecture. We go to a gallery and I talk. At the beginning, it was, you know, I was like, let's talk about knights. Let's talk about what it, what it takes to be a knight and those general, you know, history topics. But then I realized that kids really liked what we were doing and they kept coming back. And I couldn't keep repeating the same topics because I would have the same students. So I, I lecture on a variety of topics from, you know, history to prehistory to science to even like modern politics. The ROM has a new special exhibition called The Evidence Room, and it's about Auschwitz. It's about the Holocaust, and uh, they've actually recreated parts of the architecture of the gas chambers uh, inside the museum to talk about how uh, forensic architecture had basically uh, helped people prove that the horrors of the internment camps during World War II actually happened. So I thought, okay, my students are mature, and these are topics that occur in D&D, you know, death, you know, genocide. These things happen in fantasy, so I'm not going to shy away from it. And so I did a one-hour lecture on the history of Auschwitz. We talked about the founding of Auschwitz, and we talked about the demise of Auschwitz and all the people involved and their fates. And I had a really real conversation with my students. And that's how every day begins, with a real, frank conversation about history, science, or current events. We've talked about conflict in Syria. We've talked about, you know, religion. We've talked about Buddhism. Uh, last week, I did a lecture on the Orisha of the Yoruba people from uh, Africa, from sort of like Western Africa. And they're like incredibly diverse pantheon of gods. I talked about the history of D&D. Even the dark stuff. Talked about the history of playing cards. But I talk about something related to D&D or fantasy or RPGs using the ROM's content. I make the game basically come to life using this incredible museum that we play in. Like, we're really lucky to have this. No other gaming group has what we have. And I plan on taking full advantage of that. We get to, no gaming group gets to actually sit and play uh, you know, maybe a uh, a short dungeon set in a pyramid next to a real mummy. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets to hold real swords, shoot real bows, and then think about how that affects their game. So we lecture, and then we game. We'll tour the museum, but our day is split, maybe 25% lecture, 75% gaming. And I do that every day. I do that every Saturday, from, you know, I'm there at 8 and I leave at 4.30. I play D&D basically for six hours a week and I write about 15 campaigns a year. <laughs> wow. And all of it takes place in a campaign setting that is dynamic and reflexive and is uh, kind of collaboratively tested with the kids. We have a world and all of the students who return, they themselves are familiar with our world and that affects their ability to tell stories. It gives them a sense of belonging, um, so it makes the, our classroom literally a safe space, but it also 
makes the stakes higher. It allows them to explore things, uh, makes them attached to things. They, they think, oh, my NPC, my character from last session, are they an NPC? And they almost always are if they, you know, they make profound choices and think about others. Or if they do things like, I want to blow up the city. Well, that city's not going to be there forever. So <laughs> we play with high stakes role playing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. I hope that answers the question. That was a little long winded. No, 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 absolutely. So why D&D then? I mean, obviously the program started earlier than that, but why D&D? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of different games, there's a lot of different role-playing games, maybe a lot even even a lot more uh, suited for children, but you guys stuck with stuck with D&D even from 3rd edition. Why is that? Well, we've been doing the program has been running. I've been told that the program's been running for 3 decades. So that means that there wasn't really much else out there. We continue to use D&D. We actually are using Pathfinder right now. I personally like it because it involves a lot of math. A lot of people say, oh, Mathfinder. I really like using Pathfinder because it's got a lot of books and it involves a lot of math. So that means that my students are very subtly learning very quick math. And because they get so engrossed with the game and they want to learn more and they want to try to make new characters and experiment with new races and classes, all of that is available online because Pathfinder is an OGL game. So a lot of them go and buy the books. I have students, parents who email me and say, thank you so much. My, my kid is reading now. You know, I have some, one of my staff members was like, you know what? Like, I didn't like to read as a kid, but all I did was read D&D books. And to me, that still counts. So the reason why I haven't switched to like 5e or anything else is A, the cost, and, and B, if I switch to 5e, I switch to something that has fewer books for my students to read and uses less math. Uh, so that's something that uh, I lose for my program. So I continue to use Pathfinder. But as of late, I, I've kind of been uh, exploring different games with my groups as they move on. Uh, Newer kids, um, kids you know closer to eleven, some of them maybe ten and a half, will now be starting with Dungeon World, and uh, I have a specific assistant. Her name's Lauren, who I uh, I train to you know play Dungeon World with the kids, and the kids know that even if they're playing Dungeon World, they're still playing in our campaign setting, and all the decisions that they make because everything is inherently just a story, are all canon. So I start with Dungeon World, and we go into Pathfinder, and then for the kids who have been with me for a long time and are maybe looking to do something different or are, are maybe ready for maybe some more sensitive material, we'll, we'll try other games. Like uh, a really popular one lately has been Night Witches, mm-hmm. and I, I've been trying to use it to get the... Because I have, I would say my students are 95% male. Mm-hmm. I try to get them to you know, think about other perspectives, especially in history and to play tastefully. So we've been doing a lot of uh, Night Witches, and I've been playing a lot of my friend uh, Fraser Simon's game, The Veil, because I wanted mm-hmm. students to think less about physical attributes and more about emotional attributes. But we've been doing D&D because that's what I was given. That's what I learned, and that's what my staff know how to play. Mm-hmm. You know, times are changing, and we have to change with them, and so I'm slowly introducing other games. But D&D is kind of what we've been doing because it's content-heavy. It has, in terms of Pathfinder and 3rd Edition and 3.5, a fair amount of mathematics. And it's what my staff knew at the time. Excellent, excellent. I'm a personal fan uh, of 
a fifth edition. I think actually it's a really great game. Yeah, I, I know you love it. I, I enjoy it too. I enjoy it too. I, I, I played fifth edition with, uh, with some of my groups because they just wanted to try something different. So here's the meat of this topic. Obviously, a, a lot of us have played with, with different people. How is playing and teaching D&D and teaching role-playing games to kids different than playing with adults? Oh, my God. It's actually a lot more fun playing D&D with kids than it is with adults. Really? I want to be, be really straight up with you. If you take a group of adults and you take a group of kids and both have never played before, you're going to have more fun playing with the group of kids because the adults are, are almost always so scared to role play. They're always super nervous about acting out, being a different character, or doing something that the other player that they think the other players might judge them for out of the game. But kids are almost they their you know inhibitions would be you could say are lowered. They immediately jump into the pretend because they're still in that stage when they pretend all the time. You know, we as adults, at least not you and I, because we play D&D all the time, <laughs> uh, most, most adults are not accustomed to pretending. Mm-hmm. They're not accustomed to just being something different or pretend or like trying to be somebody different or creating something that might be an alter ego. So at the beginner levels, playing with kids is actually quite easy because they're so willing to pretend. They're so willing to be like, whoa, wait, I can do anything? Okay. And they'll just dump, jump right into it. At the later sort of levels, we can say, when I have my, my older students who are around 14, things become a little bit trickier because they're starting to learn new things in school and see things on the internet and ask, you know, the kinds of questions that obviously adults might, wouldn't ask, or they'll start using words or using phrases that might not be appropriate. And those are things that kind of have to be resolved in game. And so playing with teenagers becomes a matter of, balance allowing them to do what they want be creative but never at the expense of anybody else Mm -hmm. whereas in adults adults tend to be a little bit more conscientious although we know that there are certain exceptions to that as there always will be but i think that playing with kids at least in the beginning is easier and then it becomes profoundly more difficult Mm -hmm. it's like having a conversation with a teenager all day in a make-believe world that's, that's definitely an interesting insight. And, and you definitely see that playing with adults. And even in psychology, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've taken some of that. It's where, you know, kids are, uh, how do I put this gently, haven't got the weight of the world on them like adults do. Absolutely. And aren't affected by everything that they've been affected. They don't have the experience. Uh, they don't have that oppression on them. I, I don't want to use that word uh, lightly, but it's, you know, they don't, they're not as self-conscious, I guess. Maybe that's a better word to put it onto. Yeah, they, you know, they don't. The, the stakes aren't high when you're a kid, but that's why playing D and D is so important. Because when the stakes aren't high, you can learn more. When you're not afraid to do something new and different, it really helps you in the later stages of life. It, it, I mean, for for the listeners of this show, I certainly wouldn't be where I am right now if I wasn't playing D and D. I probably wouldn't be as great of a speaker. I wouldn't be as great of a writer. I certainly wouldn't be as willing to engage in, you know, random creative pursuits, uh, if not for D and D. And I'm an adult. I, you know, I have adult responsibilities. I juggle multiple jobs and I also worry about the future, but the skills I learned from D and D kind of put me where I am. And so that's why, you know, doing it with kids is important at that stage when they don't have 
as you said, these, this sort of, this global, worldly, the oppression of responsibility on their shoulders, because this is the time to get them started and preparing them for when that actually does happen. Absolutely agree. One of my memories uh, back when I started playing D and D was learning about the Salmanic Knights. You know, I, I started, I cut my teeth on on Dragonlance, and I always remembered the Code of Chivalry. Now I don't remember the exact code anymore, but I remember that that sense of honor, that sense of righteousness, that sense of right and wrong, had always formed that, and I I had based my entire I, I can almost say I can I, I based my entire worldview to look at that, to look at fair play that way. And I was nine years old, nine or 10 years old uh, when that happened. I think it was nine. <laughs> so at a young age, you've got a young kid who reads Dragonlance, who will only play a Salmanic Knight. <laughs> basically, <laughs> until second edition came out, will only play a knight, will only believe in this code because this is the right thing, not just in the game, but in my entire life. And not just that, I mean, that that has affected me. That's, that's how I view the world. Uh, it's tempered, obviously, by a little bit of practicality. But the other thing is reading. I mean, I, I guess my love of reading has really come from, from reading the D&D books. Do you think D&D books made you a better reader? I think so. And I, I and I honestly believe, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who have read, maybe the only thing that they were ever interested in reading was the D&D books or, or rule books. But you had to read up, right? If you, were, if you were 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, you had to read up to the level of a D&D book. You had to understand the rules. And that's, you know, and for me, that was second edition. You, you had to kind of understand that. So when you're talking about these kids, you know, lowered into editions, getting to them early, I mean, that is that is such an, I, I believe that's a, such an important thing, such an important thing of why we want kids to learn, not just the, you know, we used to say, oh, it's the math and, and whatnot, but really you want kids to learn. I'm not, <laughs> we talk about this in Adventuring Zone. It's just like, I'm the, you know, programs and family coordinator, and I'm the only one who doesn't have a kid. <laughs> so just have so the most experienced kids <laughs> well pretty much i mean you you literally have had the most experience with kids yeah but the the thing is one of my clo- one of my closest friends who actually also happens to be my boss kiran Mukherjee, he always says that daniel like you're basically guiding these for the most part teenage boys through into adulthood using D D. Mm-hmm. because that that's that age and you know that's that's a responsibility i don't take lightly yeah, obviously that's not something you can take lightly, but I don't th- that I think that's a, a wonderful, wonderful way to bring someone to age, to give someone the hope that they can have in, in a game, knowing that there's consequences, knowing that there are certain things, but to have D and D as a guidepost, I think that's a wonderful thing to have. Absolutely. And uh I mean it it's a shame that more people aren't doing it, but it's also great for business for me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well we're we should definitely expand that program. So just moving on from there, and I think we've talked a little about this, but maybe to nail it down a little bit, being both a, a participant, a, a TA, you know, moving up the ranks, and now the head of the program, what have you learned about the program? What have you learned about teaching kids? What have you learned about D&D in general doing what you've done? I tell them 
one thing I say. I have one rule in D and D, and it and it you know extends in game, and regardless of your alignment, and you know it extends to the real life, and it's respect yourself and respect each other. You know when you play D and D, even if you're evil, you still respect other people who are your alignment. But the one thing that I took away from from this program coming up coming up through the ranks is that I am not going to force education on these students. Mm-hmm. My programs actually this summer sold out in 30 hours. That's five weeks of D&D with me. That's just over 90 spots sold out in over 30 hours. And that's never happened before in the ROMs history. In the entire 75-year history of the camps, as far as I know, that's never happened. But it's not because of my lectures. I think my lectures are great, and I think they're educational, but I'm not forcing content on them. I'm not forcing them to learn something they don't want to learn. I use D&D to try to make them want to learn. You know, they say, what, well, what inspired this particular thing that's happening in the campaign right now? Because we do these multi-year campaigns that are all connected and all kind of reflective of the modern world. And, well, the last one was, you know, related to the French Revolution. And now they're like, oh, man, so what actually happened in the French Revolution? I'll be like, oh, well, we're going to talk about that today. <laughs> I was never the kind of student who liked being talked at. I was always the kind of student who liked having a conversation mm-hmm. with my teacher. And that's kind of what I've changed with D&D. At the ROM, you know, my lessons aren't really lectures as I say them. That's just the word that I use. They're more of dialogues. And that's the same way I teach at uh, tutorials at the university. And that's the same way I run my podcast. Uh, I just recorded a podcast with an incredible per- human being, Justin Wren. Uh, he's a humanitarian and MMA fighter fighting for the uh, uh, Mabuti pygmies of the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. And, you know, we just had a conversation. We just had a, a candid conversation about what was happening in the world. And that's what I do at the ROM. I don't talk at them. I talk with them. Mm-hmm. And if we do it from a place of respect, then everybody's going to get something out of it. And one thing that I always tell them is that, look, I might be your teacher, but I certainly don't know everything about the history of the world. You know, in a year, I'll have a PhD and you can call me Dr. Daniel if you want, but I have a PhD in something super, super specific, right? That doesn't mean, mean I'm an expert on everything. The students have always asked me like, oh, what was this? And I would say, oh, I don't know that. I've never had a student go, whoa, Daniel doesn't know something because I usually say, I don't know that. I'll go find out and I'll tell you in five minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm an expert at research. I know how to learn and I know how to convey information. And if I don't know something, I can find it. So one thing that I've learned over the years, you know, working in various positions at the ROM is that the best teachers and the best DMs actually in this case, because DMs are essentially teachers, the best teachers and the best DMs are people who still consider themselves to be learners. You're never an expert at something. You should always be able to ask questions. You should always stay curious. And you can always assume that somebody has something to teach you. Somebody somebody always has something that they can tell you. Uh, Somebody will have a piece of information you don't have, and you should respect them for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's actually, that's that's definitely really great advice. I think that's one of the things that misdirected Mark and, and all, all the, I think all the great DMs have always said is that there's always something to learn. There's always uh, room to improve, uh, room to grow. And when you consider that, you know, there's new things coming up all the time. We're in a good environment to do that. So final question regarding our topic today from everything you've learned, 
how would you apply that to another adult who wants to teach kids or, or another kid who wants to teach kids? What, what would be your advice to them? How, how would they apply what you've learned to their game? I mean, everything that I just said applies to them. I mean, you, know, you and I, our mutual friend, um, Brendan Miller, we met at Fan Expo 2016, and uh, he was at a, a panel that I was on with uh, Robin Laws and uh, Ed Greenwood, and um, we were just talking about being a better DM. And the same thing goes into you know every single game, and that's respect. We all know that the tormenting DM is never a long-lasting DM. The DM who always just you know TPKs everybody. The DM who's just like ruthlessly mean. I actually really dislike you know all respect to Gary Gygax, but I really dislike the Tomb of Horrors simply because of why it was written. Mm-hmm. Definitely agree. Gary thought that gamers were getting too cocky and he had, you know, he had a bit of an ego. He created the most amazing game in the world, but as we know from its history, it got to his head and he was upset that people were beating his dungeons, but he shouldn't be. He should, the DM, and he's the ultimate DM. The DM should be the biggest fan of all the players. You know, if you're a teenager and you're listening to this podcast and you're playing a game with your younger siblings or your friends or you're a parent and you're playing with the neighborhood kids or you're playing with all of your friends for the first time. Your role as the GM or the DM or the MC or the host, whatever you want to call it, whatever game you're playing, your job is to be the player's biggest fan. You know, your, your job is to make sure they have a good time. If they don't want to stick to the script that you've written, they don't have to. That's the one thing that, that applies from all of my experience to others that that's the one thing that applies to it to everybody who wants to game to everybody who wants to try to help kids with D. it's be their biggest fan we, we think that the dm has to be this like antagonistic force against all the players but but really the dm is somebody who's just providing challenge and challenge doesn't have to be evil challenge doesn't have to be physical a challenge can be emotional a challenge could be established between all the players but ultimately, the players have to succeed. You know, a good game of D&D, unless you're trying to set something up, doesn't end with the players all dying. A good game of D&D ends with all of the players learning something about themselves, growing as human beings and characters. But that only can happen if the DM is the biggest fan, the, the, the biggest fanboy or fangirl or whatever, the biggest fan of the players. You have to treat them like they're celebrities. and You want them to succeed. But you want them to succeed in the most epic way possible, and that's your job to set up the most epic success possible. And I think uh, listeners of the show, listeners of the show, have heard had have heard me say, uh, DMs, you got to be the fan of the uh, of the characters. You know, they they are the the heroes of the story. And um, I'm pretty sure that you've heard me say, don't be an adversarial DM. Uh, and yeah. is that paramount? That's pretty much paramount to being just being a dick. And Will Wheaton says, don't be a dick. Right. So. Yeah, don't be a dick. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if we could say that on your show. Yeah, because we're talking uh, about kids. No worries. Uh, we'll beep it out if we have to. <laughs> okay. But that kind of wraps up our topic today. Definitely a fascinating topic. Definitely one that we've we came at before. Uh, we're going to come at this again because honestly, we're you are raising the next generation of gamers, and um, hopefully, every generation gets better than the last one. Or every every generation should should teach the last one, yeah. Because hopefully, when my daughter grows up, she's going in that program. I've already had Daniel promise me that, so I did. I did. You asked me. I promised. 
I already have a successor chosen for the oh the sad event when I have to retire from there and move on to other things. But my biggest, my highest priority right now, other than of course providing you know a great service, is making sure that it lasts, making sure that it evolves. And um, I've got like a, I was thinking about it the other day. I've got an amazing staff team. I've got like, I've got like fifteen employees, fifteen assistants who work with me at various times throughout the year. 15 people I can call on and five of those are my regulars who are with me all the time. And then after them, I've got a roster of teenage volunteers who are once my students who are itching to get back into the program, but on the other side of the, the GM screen, I've got this giant team and it, it really hit me recently that, you know, I've built this sort of, I don't want to say empire, but I've, I've built this group and I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. And I, I think that there need to be other groups for people to have these similar experiences. And that's why, like, that's why I joined Adventuring Zone, because adults need to have these same experiences. How awesome would it be for a group of adults to come to one of our events, maybe sit down, play a game, maybe even a casual game, not even uh, uh, a league game, and just be enthralled with the experience and want to do that with their kids. That That's what I want. That's what I want. And, and I want to make sure that everybody can have as good of a time and have as profound of a time playing these games as I did. Yeah, I'm very hopeful that that's, that that will happen because hey, we got to try to get get everybody, right? We do. Just a little bit of a, a self-promotion time um just as we kind of close out the show. What other projects should we know about you? What 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 else are you working on? How do people get in touch with you? How do people get to know you better? Get how to get how do they get I guess, more information about you. Uh, if you want to learn more about me, you can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Daniel H. Kwan, all one word. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-H-K-W-A-N. Yeah, I'm very active on Twitter, very active on Instagram, and very active on Snapchat. But if you find me on Snapchat, you'll mostly just see cats and B&D, which I guess is what you want. <laughs> I host a podcast called Curiosity and Focus. You can head to curiosityandfocus.com to learn more about that. Uh, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, and all major podcasting platforms. I'm also the co-founder and lead facilitator of a Toronto-based organization called Level Up Gaming. We just launched a new website, but I think we're going to talk about that in a different episode. Mm-hmm. But if you want to know more about that, you could head to uh, levelupgaming.ca. And if you want to get in touch with me, all you got to do is send an email to uh, hello at curiosityandfocus.com or of course just like send me a tweet I love talking to people about D&D uh, I love learning about uh, other games so if people have games who that they think are really great for kids and I don't know them like send me a message tell me I'll, I'll go buy it my my collection is growing <laughs> we'll have some of those uh, social media links on on the show and and whatnot and and uh, definitely, I'm going to have Daniel back on uh, for multiple topics. Um, probably the next topic we're going to have is to talk about level up gaming and playing RPGs, playing games with, with with people on the spectrum. But Daniel, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know we had a little reschedule, a little hiccup based on the fact I have no internet. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I like uh, I stayed up late just for this. I was uh, well, I was reading RPG books, and then my cat threw up a, a hairball. But uh, you know, it all worked out in the end. This is my uh, second podcast of the day, actually. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. 
I hope everybody had fun. I hope everybody likes our new format for Advantage to Insight. Uh, we will have uh, more fans, uh, more people on the show to to talk with you and give you more insights about different topics. So, Daniel, thank you again for coming on the show. No problem. And for all the listeners, have a great day. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye now. Advantage to Insight is a Misdirected Mark production. The media are having great designs.